The reading today is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 23. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you, may, you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we come to the end of our church recommitment series. We've been thinking through recommitting to the church that God calls us to be. Today, in the final passage of Ephesians, we see that this process of recommitment involves this, standing together against Satan's schemes in God's strength. Uh, the image I'd invite you to have in your mind is that of a shield wall. You've seen the shows where a platoon of Roman or Viking soldiers or whatever uh, comes under attack and they all put their shields up together. And so you can't see the soldiers, you can't see the heads, you can't see the arms or the legs. You can only see shield. Uh, arrows, spears, swords can't break through that shield wall. I want you to hold that image in your mind as a picture of the church under siege. It's difficult to remember a time when we have felt more under siege, uh, not just individually, not just even as a church, but, but as a country. It's hard to remember a time when there was more collective fear and anxiety in the, in the nation because there has been a real threat, perhaps not a seen one like an invading army, but a known one that has left many of us feeling pretty exhausted at the constant change that we've experienced. However, the reality is that as a church, we have always been under siege. It's unseen, but when we come to a passage like Ephesians 6, we're reminded of it and can see it all too clearly. I want to speak with you today about the three mistakes that we make as we reflect on the world that we live in as the body of Christ. 
the first mistake we make is we think everything is fine. The second mistake, when we realise that we're in a battle, we think it's an individual battle. And thirdly, we rely on our own strength. Those are the three mistakes we're tempted to make. Uh, those are the three mistakes we must avoid as the body of Christ. Let me deal with each of them in turn. The first mistake is this. We think everything is fine, whereas the reality is that we are, as a church, under siege. We are, as a church, engaged in a battle. Ephesians, 4, uh, sorry, Ephesians 6, 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're reminded of the same, we were reminded of the same reality in our church Bible reading program this week on Thursday in chapter a day. Uh, 1 John 5.19 said, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, I read a lot of newspaper articles on Thursday, but none of them warned me of this reality. Reading the Bible daily reminds us of the reality of the world that we live in and the threat that we're under. I make a grave mistake when I think everything is fine, when I think the world is a safe place for Christians and the church. I make a grave mistake when I think that Christian life should be easy because God loves me. Because that's what I'd prefer to think. I'd prefer to think of this world as a peaceful place for the Christian person. That would be nice. But it is mistaken. We are not being pessimistic when we recognise the role of Satan in the world. We are actually simply being realistic when we think of ourselves as a church at war. Why would the Apostle conclude this whole majestic letter of Ephesians in this way? Now, of course, this isn't the first mention of Satan in Ephesians. The Apostle introduces us to the devil in chapter 2, reminding the Ephesians of the way they were before conversion, that in fact they were following the ways of the world and following Satan, the deceiver. That's the broad reality of Satan's work. In chapter 5, we're reminded of the personal and specific threat that Satan poses to the church, not through occults and seances, but, but through something way more common. Anger. 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anger in the church lays a welcome mat out for the evil one. So speaking of the devil is not a surprise to the Ephesians. And, and of course, we come to it in chapter 6. 6.12 lays out a list of those who are in the ranks of Satan, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The apostle doesn't supply a biography of the devil and his servants. Who is this one or that one? The, the, the apostle's purpose is obviously not to satisfy our curiosity, inviting us to obsess over the details of angels and demons, but rather he intends to warn us of their presence and hostility and magnitude. 
In all the forces of Satan's hostility, the apostle assures us in Ephesians that Christ has triumphed over all these spiritual powers. Not that there is an end of these powers just yet. It's more that the game has been won by the Captain Jesus. We're on the winning side, but we're still waiting for the final whistle. And so we're still contending, but contending knowing that Jesus has won. And so given that there's still a fight, it's worth saying that struggling is normal for Christians. Struggling is normal for Christians. Struggling against sin, struggling to repent, struggling to be reminded of our salvation in Jesus. The struggle continues. If you're struggling against evil, that's a really good sign. Christians should be struggling, and if we're not, there's something wrong. With that realism, I want you just to reflect on what a profitable time our church is in for Satan. Because Satan opposes the church and opposes the progress of the gospel. Just think about it for a moment. In this battle, Satan has got God's people divided. We're at odds about issues like vaccination and response to government policy. Ephesians is written to encourage reconciliation between God's people, yet Satan is at work to divide us. Uh, Satan also wins when people are anxious about returning to gathering with God's people. The gathering of the body of Christ is crucial to its health. That is a win for Satan when the church is divided in thinking and in presence. Now, my purpose here is not to depress you. My purpose is to expose the mistake of thinking that everything is fine, that we're not engaged in a battle. That's the first mistake that we make. The first mistake uh, we make is, is not realising that, that we're under siege, to not realise that we as a church are engaged in a battle. Now, the second mistake we make is this. When we recognise that we're in this fight, we think of ourselves being individual soldiers with our individual set of armour. Of course we do, because we're Western individualists, uh, so that's only natural. But that's not what's going on in Ephesians 6. Have a look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We hear that, that somewhat passage and think, okay, there's a threat. I need to put my armour on. We forget that as a church, it's our armour. Uh, remember the image of the shield wall? We forget that the impetus here is to protect the body of Christ rather than simply protecting my body. The word you in verse 11 is actually plural, not singular. So rather than this being about me as the reader, it's about us as the church. Uh, that is, put on the full armour of God so that yous can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, as we read this familiar passage about the armour of God, I want, I want to encourage you to see it a bit differently. Most of the times I've heard this taught, it has been applied to me as a Christian fighting. 
Honestly, that's not the first application. The whole focus of Ephesians is on being the one body of Christ, being reconciled together, the one body, taking off the old clothes of sin and putting on Christ. So it's a mistake to read this first individually. Of course, we're individually involved in the fight, the struggle, but this passage is more about our struggle as a church than my struggle as a Christian. Okay, so this armour is, is not first for me uh, as much as it's first for the church. What kind of soldier are we to be as the church? What is our purpose as a soldier? Well, you see that this body is not designed to be a soldier of for- fortune, to pursue and gain loot from the conquered. Uh, this body, this soldier, is not even to advance and take territory. It's not that kind of soldier. This body is a defending soldier, a soldier that stands its ground. Have a look at the command, uh, 13. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. The struggle is fundamentally a struggle to stand our ground. It's not about using our own resources to gain new territory for ourselves. Rather, it's about using the resources God has already given us so we can stand firm in the ground that God has already won for us in Jesus' defeat of sin and death. So what are we to do? Stand. It doesn't seem like a very challenging objective to stand. But when we are under threat, I think this is really encouraging. We don't have to make up ground. We've just got to stand our ground, the ground that was secured for us by Jesus. No matter how tired we are, we can do that, right? One of the staff said it's a a bit like uh, the Battle of Britain. Uh, England had to endure raid after raid of aerial bombing before the point where they could advance. That's where we are. We're not at DJ day yet. The moment we're in is the stand and defend moment. So that's the second mistake. When we recognise that we're in this fight, we think of ourselves as being individual soldiers with this individual set of armour. Of course we do because we're Western individualists, but that's not what's going on here. The armour is first for the church. The church's objective in this fight is to stand. Uh, And now the third mistake is this. We recognise that we're in a battle. We're recognising that uh, we're standing in this together. But we can still make this mistake. We can still say to each other, we've just got to dig deep. Uh, Yes, we can. Uh, That is, we can rely on ourselves, on our collective resources to get through this fight. But of course, the only resource... Uh, The only resources that are worthy in this global battle with Satan are the eternal resources that are ours only through the completed work of Jesus Christ. Look closely at the command here in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We can be tempted to think that this verse means be strong myself, dig deep. We can be tempted to say to ourselves, you are stronger than you think you are. Yet we are no stronger than the three-year-old who says, I can do it myself. Uh, Walking in Christian wisdom, we recognise 
We, we can't. Instead, we walk in his strength, in the mighty power of the risen Lord Jesus and the spirit that brings life to our souls. As the apostle Paul rots in jail, handcuffed to a Roman soldier, as the apostle writes this lockdown letter to the Ephesians, where is this strength coming from? The same place he's commanding us to draw our strength from. And you see the strength and the power of Jesus in each of these pieces of armour. It's not my strength, it's his strength uh, that becomes the collective power for us, his body, uh, as we stand against Satan. Let me just make a really obvious point. The church actually needs to put the armour on. You hear it in the command. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. We are commanded as a church to put it on so that Christ's body is protected by his power. And we don't put it on when we're too busy fighting with our own resources, out of our own strength. It's not as if we have this shiny armour that we know in our head and keep in a display cabinet on the wall. No, no, no. We strap it on for the fight as we join that shield wall defending together. Like the servants in Jesus' parables, we stay dressed and ready for action whilst we wait for Jesus to return. So verse 14, stand firm then. Did I mention that the soldier's objective here is to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place? As a church, we strap on the belt of truth because we're saved by the word of truth. In the opening chapter of Ephesians, we hear that the Gentiles heard and understood the truth. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 13 And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so, as people who were saved by the word of truth, so we speak words of truth to one another. We talked about this in chapter 4, verse 25. This is how we roll. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We walk in truth together. Why is truth required in this battle with Satan? Satan is by name and nature a liar, deceitful and deceptive. He loves it when the church lie to one another. He loves it when brothers and sisters in Christ speak as if everything is okay when everything is not. He thrives on that. He makes inroads with that. More often than not, we use the armour of falsehood to protect our pride rather than the belt of truth. It's funny this belt image is used for truth because the function of this belt is so that you can move unhindered, uh, stopping the clothes from uh, flapping and, and getting in the way of swinging your sword. It's funny because how often are we tripped up and trapped by our falsehood, tripped up by not being completely honest? And that truth is accompanied by the breastplate of righteousness that is ours in Jesus. Remember, it's not my righteousness. It's our righteousness in Christ that the church fights Satan with. We strap on his righteousness. As one of the parish councillors reminded me on Wednesday, a breastplate doesn't protect you from getting hurt. It's designed to stop you from dying. And in Jesus, we will never die. 
Uh, as a church, we might get dinged up a bit. We might need a bit of panel beating, but we'll soon join the church triumphant, those who have died in Christ. We might take some hits, but his purposes for us are eternal and secure. 6.15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the gospel boots come next in the list. The footwear seems to be the half boot of the Roman soldier, which had heavily studded soles, like studs on footy boots. The purpose is so that the soldier can hold his ground and stop him from slipping, stop him from backsliding. Uh, Ephesians reminds us that the gospel, the urgent news, the good news, is not a book, but a person. That person brings about peace, not just with God, but with each other. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his flesh, the law. Sorry, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. As a church, we have peace with God in Jesus. And so we seek to live in peace. Or as chapter 4 verse 3 says, maintaining the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace receiving peace and living it out as Christ's body. Why is peace part of the church's armour? Why do we need peace in this battle with Satan? Well, of course, one of the key objectives is to divide the body of Christ. In Ephesians, Satan says to the Jews, you don't really want to be sharing a building with dirty Gentiles, do you? They might infect you. Come on, you're better than that. That's Satan at work, trying to divide Jews and Gentiles. Paul is saying, no, no, in Christ you are one body. If we think Satan would not love to divide us, we are sorely mistaken. Instead, we will stand and hold our ground against Satan's attempts to trap us in division and disunity. The other thing, of course, that Satan would love is for us to stop making Christ known, making God's offer of peace in Jesus known. Just as a church, we've received peace. So as a church, we're to live in peace and we're to proclaim peace, making Christ known to those around us. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's been a while since we, the reason for the battle has been made explicit. But you see it again here, don't you? Why do we need a church? Why do we as a church need a shield? Because we're being attacked. We're in a battle. We're walking across the firing range with signs that says, warning, live fire. The devil is not shooting blanks. He's shooting flaming arrows. And we are to verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of course, the helmet, the protection, isn't our own strength, but in the strength of God. What does Satan want to draw us away from? The certainty of our own salvation in Jesus. The more we take our defence into our own hands, the more he can convince us that we're just not strong enough. 
in the hymn earlier, we reflected on the true picture of salvation. Salvation to God who sits on the throne. See, he and his work is our salvation, not us and our work. And the sword of the Spirit, just as Jesus contended with Satan in the desert, Satan fed him uh, lies that were, like all good lies, very close to the truth. How did Jesus respond? With words from Scripture, with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You remember that beautiful image of Jesus and the way that he protects his bride from last week. Ephesians 5, 25, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Each of the pieces of armour are God's armour in Christ. We are, uh, they are God's defence of the church in Christ. We make a grave error when we fight in our own strength, our collective strength as a church. Instead, we stand together in his strength. So friends, these are the mistakes that we make as we think about Christians in the world. Firstly, we must recognise that we're in a battle. And secondly, we must recognise that we're in this together this is first a together fight. We, we are to be that shield wall standing together. Thirdly, we must recognise that our strength is not in digging deep. It's not in self-reliance, but it is only through God's strength in Jesus Christ. Given that it is only in God's strength, let me lead us in prayer. As Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Father in heaven, help us to be alert. Help us to be sober-minded and clear-thinking, because we know your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yet our resources are the resources that you give us in the risen, conquering Christ. Help us to stand together in him by the work of your spirit, unifying us that we might honour you, living out the peace that we have been given and helping us to offer peace to others we, as we wait for the return of Jesus. Give us your strength, O God. Give us courage to speak. Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.